You're listening to episode one of Perusia World Spotlight with Matthew Herman Taig on the Perusia Podcast Network. Hello, and thanks for joining us. In the spotlight today is the Bible study evangelista, Sonia Corbett, who recently joined me for a guest expert interview for Perusia study groups in Perusia World. To be part of the live online audience during these recordings and to interact in the live member-only Q&A session that follow, join us in Perusia World by visiting perusiamedia.com and clicking on Perusia World for all the information on how to join. Sonia Corbett, welcome to Perusia World. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I say evening, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a good morning from us in Australia. Yes. Remind me what part of the United States you're in. I'm in Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, got that long okay. twang. Okay, so now we can all go and, uh, and look up Tennessee and, and find out all about your background. Do they barbecue in Tennessee? Uh, every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My Put daughter's the steak really... on the barbie. Ah, very good. Yeah, my, my daughter's really into cooking shows. And uh, we discovered this show called The Great American Barbecue Showdown. And so my daughter's been learning all about American barbecue. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, you're here today because our Perusia study groups are about to start a very interesting Bible study called Fulfilled uncovering the biblical foundations of Catholicism. And this one's produced by Ascension, but it's written by Sonia Corbett. That's me. That's you. So you're here to tell us a little bit about the study and about what we might expect over the coming, uh, it's, a, it's a 14 week study, isn't it? We do it, we're gonna do it over a part one and a part two. Yes, it is somewhat long and it's it's a rigorous study. It has three parts, the book, yep. the workbook and the videos. So I had to yep. do that because there was so much material um, and I wanted to get it all in, you know, but um, it was actually the first study that I began teaching as a Catholic because I was using the material in RCIA. I yes. am in kind of in the, the Southern part of the country and this is what we call the Bible Belt. And so you must yeah. be able to defend the Catholic faith using the scriptures or you cannot evangelize. Indeed. So, In fact, I, I, have, a, I have a little um, quote here that from the book. So this is the book Fulfilled, which you can get from the US uh, from Ascension or here in Australia from Perusia. In fact, it comes bundled as a, uh, as a starter pack. But um, before we get into the actual study, I have a very interesting quote from uh, the introduction in the book, right? So I'm gonna quote that now. So this is Sonia Corbett speaking. You see, I was a non-Catholic who once made it her mission to pick off Catholics from the Catholic ch church and I was very good at it. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> okay, so I was the only female in a group of Baptist pastors here in our, in one of the larger towns in my area. Right. And at our first Baptist church, every Christmas, we had what was called a toy store. And it, we would invite people from the area who needed help buying Christmas gifts. 
And so we would give them away. We contributed to the, the pot and then just invited people to quote shop, you know, and so they would just choose gifts for their children and, and all that stuff. And there were some home items and things like that. But at the end, it was, it was in this long hallway that was shaped like a T. And at the end of the, the long part of the T was the bar. And that bar was where all of the pastors would stand and we would invite them. Would you mind if we took a moment to speak to you about faith, about Christ? And then we would step aside with them and then have a conversation about being saved. (laughs) And so I was the only female and I was a lay person. I wasn't the only lay person, but I was the only female. And I was also the youngest in the whole group. And I was, I guess, because of that, maybe people seem to be much less, um, what's the word intimidated maybe. Um, and so it, really opened up conversation with them. And so I would just step in and, and ask them, ask the Catholics, Hmm. are you saved? The Bible says you need to be saved. And I would walk them through what we called the Roman road. And it was a set of scriptures out of the book of Romans that Hmm. led them in what we called the sinner's prayer. And so I was really good at it because I could challenge the Catholics and what the Catholics never knew. They never had a biblical answer. And because I could show them chapter and verse, the things that I was saying, it was, I was, I tried not to be confrontational, but I'm sure I was, I mean, that was the whole point. Right. And so they would get saved and, and a few of them actually even left the church. So that was part of my my penance actually for writing fulfilled because I spent an entire evening one night on my porch, face planting, sobbing Mm -hmm. after I came to the truth of the church, realizing that it was a very Pauline moment. I, I recognized what I had done and I just begged God, please give me back one for everyone I stole and give me more. Let me have them all back. Wonderful. Very, very noble sentiment. And for background on, on Sonia's faith journey, of course, we did a Parousia podcast episode with Sonia. That was episode uh, 42 uh, in which we went right through uh, your faith journey, Sonia. Um, so eventually you read your way into the Catholic church. I did. It took me about a year and I did it surreptitiously. I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so is that something you kind of felt you needed to do as a, as a Southern Baptist? Was that part well, of the motivation? Yeah? What happened, there was what I call a perfect storm where our church, our local church that we were leaders in, it's, it, we experienced a church split. We had that happen twice. The first time I didn't really, I was really young and didn't know what was going on and didn't really know the pastor very well. So it was kind of like, nah, not a big deal. The second time though, it was five years later and I knew the pastor very well and his wife and his family. And he had entrusted to me his own Sunday school class. he had given it to me and I had grown it to the point where it was the only adult study in the whole church because they had all come to my class, which caused a few ruffled feathers and some things like that. But I was so, I was so affirmed in my gifts because he trusted me with that. And when they, when the same people did the same kind of rebellious uprising, you know, and they just, they, there was, there were accusations and then everybody chooses a side. And then when one side doesn't get its way, 
they leave and they start another church. And so they take half of the people who are contributing financially. They take half of the people who are contributing by their time and their talents. They take, they take half the people and they start another church down the road and they've devastated the pastor. So I knew what the Bible said about authority because I had been, that is the major theme of my personal spiritual formation with God is learning how to submit to proper authority. And so when I saw that, I thought, whoa, there's something very fundamentally wrong with the whole way this is set up. And so that's what really got me started reading. And I had someone in that Sunday school class who came into the Catholic church and I went to her Easter vigil mass and just thought, I felt sorry for her. I thought, I can't believe she's doing this, this heresy, (laughs) you know, it was bizarre. I mean, the whole thing was just so strange, but it got me to thinking and she kept coming to my study and she would bring up the Catholic view of things and it would just irritate me to death. And I would go home and try to disprove her. And the more I did that, the more I realized, okay, well, it's not true what she's saying, but if it were, I can see how they would see it that way. And once you've gotten that far, it's really not that far of a step, you know, and I, I picked up a catechism at a used bookstore one day and, and just realized this is what, this is what I need and started reading on the Eucharist and the teachings of John six. And I connected that with all that I knew from the old Testament and the manna and Melchizedek and, and all of that stuff. And once I got to that point, I assented to the Eucharist and the teaching on the Eucharist, realizing that it could not mean anything else than what the Catholic church has always taught. And that was the first theological domino to fall. And it wasn't a long trip after that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I hear you, sister. Uh, it was uh, all sorts of things that uh, that helped me to read my way into the church. But once you get the Catholic teaching about the Eucharist and you know it's true. And it's the first writings of the church fathers. The first one I picked up and I went, whoa, yes. wait a minute. The <laughs> Eucharist is the true body, blood and, and soul and divinity of Christ. Uh-huh. I mean, it just was so, the whole earth felt like it had just like dropped out from under me. I just, I couldn't believe it. And the Bishop is the center of the church. I mean, I was just, and these are the earliest Christians. So, you know, their teaching is, is true. Yeah. I just could not get away from it. All of that sort of converged together. And I I had, at some point I said, Lord, you cannot be asking me to be Catholic. You can't surely. Yeah. But at some point you realize that there's no turning back. You know, it's so much truth that in order to say no, you have to turn your back on what you know is true. And I just could not do that. I've never been able to do that. Yeah. And, and of course, we're, we're talking about Clement, who was writing in the first century. And then we're talking about Ignatius. Justin Martyr, Ignatius, Justin Irenaeus. Martyr. Yep. Yes. Yep. I read the same ones. It's, a, it's amazing how it's, it's right there at your fingertips in the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) So you were convinced by this horrible reality that the Catholic church was true and that God wanted you in his Catholic church. So I imagine then you got in contact with a priest and arranged to do RCIA. I did. And it's interesting because I had never met a real live priest before. Wow. I walked into that parish and I said, I, I just, I think I'm supposed to be Catholic but I was so militant about it. He ended up putting me with someone one-on-one who ended up later. He's, he's my godfather still to this day, but um, he put me one-on-one because he knew I was going to be 
just hard to handle. <laughs> so, so I ended up, ended up going through RCIA and just being able to pick this person's brain absolutely to death. And I was able to challenge him in a very confrontational, very rebellious even way. And he was not offended. He wasn't, he was just the perfect, the perfect person for that. And then the very next year I'm teaching RCIA. <laughs> wow. So tell us a little yeah. bit about that. What was it like to, to suddenly I find wait. Yeah, yeah. Once I had the truth, because yeah. what's in fulfilled is what brought me all the way. When I went to a mass and I began to understand the connections between the Old Testament liturgy and mm -hmm. the parts of the Old Testament tabernacle and how they come forward through Christ into the Old in the New Testament church. And yep. they're only the Catholic church is the only church that retains every single piece of that tabernacle. Now we're not Jewish, so we don't practice the Jewish faith, but we still we still have those pieces. And God said, he said in the Old Testament, they must remain perpetual. And yep. in the Catholic church, they all do. And when I made that connection, I was just, I could not tell enough people fast enough. And nobody down here in the South wanted to know unless they were in RCIA. So, <laughs> so he, and in fact, the pastor there, because he knew my background and the scriptures and that kind of thing, he made me the religious education director of our parish. And wow. so that was the first thing I started was RCIA and teaching Bible studies like I do even now. That's excellent. And so this study that we're about to undertake, fulfilled, it came about as a result of you teaching RCIA? It was the material that I was using in RCIA. Mm -hmm. And what began to happen was other churches began to send people to that study because, well, it wasn't a study then, it was just the material, but they would send them to me because in the South, it's very important that you're able to show people the connections in the scriptures and how it all fits. If you can't do that, you can't convince them. And so the, the classes just kind of blew up. And then, you know, I came in on my own at Easter. I was pregnant at the time. And so I waited until my second child was born during that time, we were homeschooling and my oldest son looked at me. He was eight years old. He looks at me over the, the kitchen table and he says, mama, God just said something to me. And I said, he did. What did he say? And he said, God told me I needed to be baptized. And I said, whoa, wow. <laughs> I said, well, that's definitely something God would say. So do you want to be baptized at the Baptist church where I was still attending with the family to keep, to try to keep some unity? Or do you want father to do it? Cause he had also been going with me to the Catholic church. And he said, I want father to do it because he loved the idea of the, the baptismal font. He didn't want to be up in front of everyone in a baptistry in a 4,000 family mega church. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so because my husband and I could not speak Catholic at all without fighting, we never spoke about it. And so I told my son, I said, you have to tell your father. <laughs> I'm not because I didn't want him to feel like I had tried to influence my son and I really hadn't. Mm -hmm. And so he did. And my husband, he was actually present at the baptism of both my boys in November of that same year. And then five years later, and we still couldn't talk about Catholic at all. We could not talk about it. And there were so many other things that were going on, but I was having, I was seeing such success in the people that were using the material. I told my husband, I said, I really want to try to get this study published. Will mm. you come to the classes and video these classes for me? 
and he knew what I was asking and I knew he knew, but he said yes. And he came and he was in the next year, which I knew would happen if I could just give him the material. So that's how the whole study began. Wow. And so people use it all over in RCIA and, and Catholics love it because they're finally seeing in tangible, um, in a concise way. What's so good about the tabernacle is it's very concise. So you can use it to, to share your faith very concisely and quickly mm-hmm. with a Protestant say. Wonderful. And so this is something you kind of self-produced. How did Ascension get involved? Well, they were who I pitched it to. I actually tried for years to get it published and I just couldn't do it. But after they had me come and speak at a Bible conference and the, the meet and greet was lined up around the building. And so the guy asked me, the, uh, the uh, manager of, of their new studies, he said, what you got going on? And I was like, well, <laughs> I've been trying for several years to get in here and this is what I want you to look at. And I sent it. And then that was, that was it. So I actually didn't produce it myself. I waited because I really wanted it. I knew it could be such a good tool for evangelization. So I waited and I, I just begged God, please let me have that. <laughs> May I please have that? And that was such a gift. So Wow. So um, would you share to us some of the process? So Ascension has said, yes, we'll take it. How how does one go from having material that you're self-teaching in groups to now it's it's in print, it's on camera, and it's available to all? Take us through that process. It was absolutely the thrill of my life. Really? Because, yes, because this study is it is very rigorous and it has all those important pieces. Um, And it was the first one that I have, I had done like this. And so I wrote the book first and then I used, well, actually I already had the workbook written. So I, I took what I couldn't fit in the workbook to keep it concise. And then I wrote an overview and more detail in the book so that the book could stand alone in case people didn't ever pick up the workbook. And then the last piece, the video part kind of pulled it together. And so I I did the workbook and the book first, and then they flew me up to Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And we filmed it over about a week's time in an Airbnb there. Mm -hmm. And it was just amazing. And it was your husband on the camera. Nope. He was not there. No, 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 he was holding down the fort. (laughs) I see. I see. So um, at what point did he actually hear the study? Because you asked him to film it. He he filmed the study five years after I came into the church. I see. And then and then it was another probably five years after that until it was actually published. It may have even been more. I can't even think now how long it was, but it was a long time. So he was as thrilled as I was, you know, because it was a dream of mine. Yeah. Okay. And so it took your husband to hear the study. I, I, I really hear you when I, when you say that uh, we couldn't talk Catholic in the house, cause that's my own situation with my wife. My, my wife did not follow me home. Uh, I came home via Protestantism. And so, you know, even now, you know, we, we have to be very careful when we're, we're talking Catholic. Um, and uh, it sounds like your, your husband is a, uh, is a pretty, uh, stubborn person and I say that as a stubborn person myself uh, was there a point where you actually saw him kind of cross the line 
or click? Well, that was it. The class was it. And I yeah. knew it would be if he, if he ever could just come and let me show him, mm. I knew he would come in because he cares about truth too. Yeah. He just couldn't see how it could be true, <laughs> you know, yeah. how it could even be biblical. But mm. once I was able to show him that he softened, there were a lot of things really that kind of contributed to it, but he had softened a little bit through seeing all of the, the persecution that I underwent and mm. that softened him some. And then the class really was, that was the final straw. He, he realized it was biblical. And then, and then he became the most he's almost militantly Catholic now. <laughs> I mean, he was defending me, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff. It just was a total about face, which was very welcome. So Excellent. long time coming, so, but it was beautiful. So tell us more about the study and what we're going to expect. You were saying, we, we were saying before, it's a, it's a two part study. It's a, it's over 14 weeks. So tell it's us a more two -part about the study. So what I did was I broke the old Testament tabernacle down into the two parts that it's already the, the way God presented it. So there's an outer courtyard where the sacrifices took place and the laver was positioned. And that's where they washed after they performed the sacrifices. And that's the outside part. And then there's an, a, an interior rectangle that was the sort of like a room, an inner room. And as you go into that inner room, there's a smaller inner room called the Holy of Holies. And so the two parts of the study are the outer courtyard and the inner sanctuary. So mm -hmm. the first seven weeks are the liturgical year, the institutional priesthood, um, the tabernacle itself and, and what it is. We think of, Catholics think of the tabernacle as being that gold, sometimes a box, sometimes whatever that holds the consecrated host. But the tabernacle actually in the beginning, it was this portable worship structure that God prescribed for his people for their worship. And it wasn't because he needed some sort of particular worship. He knew what was needed to draw the people into the closest possible relationship with himself. Mm -hmm. The tabernacle was the place where God's presence dwelt with his people. They camped and lived around surrounding that tabernacle. So he was the center of their lives. Like literally they saw him in that pillar of cloud and fire. And so that tabernacle then was God's prescription for proper worship. And every piece of that tabernacle, God said, it must remain perpetual throughout your days. And so when Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Testament tabernacle, we don't worship like the Jewish people do anymore. Instead, he brought it forward into the church. And so the study then shows how the church does that. And this is very, very important because the Old Testament is what the book of Hebrews sometimes translates. It's called obsolete, right? It's an old covenant or an old Testament. And so it's obsolete, but the prophets prophesied the new covenant and the new temple, and it had all of the old stuff in it. And that new temple is the church. Mm. And it had those elements in those prophecies. So you have the old Testament, you have the prophecies, and then you have the book of revelation where the heavenly tabernacle is opened to St. John and he sees all of those Old Testament tabernacle things 
So you've got Old Testament, you've got prophecy, and you've got New Testament. It's in heaven. So our worship should be similar to all of those things. Christian worship should be similar to all of those things. And in the Catholic Church, it is. And the Catholic Church is the only church that preserves all of those elements. It's amazing. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so how are the, so you, the, the first seven weeks is going to be all about the connection between old and new. Well, the whole study is the connection between ah. the old and new. But the first seven weeks, we talk about the liturgical year, the institutional mm. priesthood, which was a big deal for Protestants. You know, they don't, we don't need an institutional priesthood. Well, mm. God wanted it. <laughs> there yes. can't be anything wrong with it. You know, um, it talks about the hierarchy. It explains um, why the church does the, the things she does in that kind of way. It explains the tabernacle as an overview. We look at the Old Testament altar. We look at the altar fire because the, the altar foreshadowed the cross. The mm. altar fire foreshadowed purgatory. The brazen altar foreshadowed baptism. So the liturgical year, the tabernacle as an overview, just explaining what that is. Then the liturgical year, the institutional priesthood, the sacrifices on the altar, the altar fire, the brazen altar, I mean, the brazen labor mm. and something else. I'm forgetting something, but all of that is in that first seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Then we enter into the sanctuary where it's dark mm. and there's incense. It's all about nurturing there. We're fed mm. the people. There was presence bread and the lampstand and incense and then the Holy of Holies. So the second part of the study is that interior part of the tabernacle. Wonderful. And uh, of course, uh, as all of our Bible study participants know, uh, liturgy is my favorite area of study. So this is this is very much a, a continuance of uh, some of the themes that we've already been doing. And if anyone's going to join us for this study for the very first time, um, I will tell you now what all of my participants know already. There's a podcast called The Liturgy Guys that you must listen to. All right. So that's that's the message for anyone joining for the first time. Go and listen to the liturgy, guys. That's your homework. So is there a I should particular... also quickly, I should actually yep. also point out what those what those interior parts foreshadow as well, since I did with the old. Happy but the lampstand yeah. in that interior room is mm. some is for uh, that foreshadows the magisterium of the church. Mm. Then the table of present spread, obviously that foreshadows the Eucharist, the incense. Uh, we have incense in the in our masses, but also Christian prayer. And then the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies foreshadows Mary herself. So mm -hmm. all of the controversial things that I thought were so unbiblical, they're all in the tabernacle. Purgatory, the priesthood, the Eucharist, the magisterium, Mary, all that stuff. Yep. It's all in there. Absolutely wonderful. So when you're teaching this study, is there a particular session that you enjoy teaching? Is there is there one that stands out for you? I teach this to this day. I teach it in RCIA. My class is starting in a couple of weeks. And I awesome. every single week, I think to myself, this is my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I can't pick one because I love them all. Probably purgatory, though. I would say maybe yeah, purgatory because especially for Catholics, it's such a scary thing. Mm. and and protestants just they don't even believe in it you know but if mm. you can show them the progression in the scriptures for how god presented himself as fire all over the place 
you know, mm. and then tie those two things together. That's probably my favorite because it's so beautiful. It's the, the fire, the, uh, the book of Hebrews in 1229 tells us that our God is a consuming fire. Mm. And so it's his love. It's his love that we're, that is present to us and that we are present to in purgatory. And it's, it's not, it shouldn't be scary at all. It should be, it should be something we look forward to. Mm. It really should be something that should occur here, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we need it, then we should be very thankful and look forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. So I've set our participants some homework. Is there anything that you would recommend to someone who's about to start on this study of of something they might do to prepare for it? Something they might do to prepare for the study of fulfilled would probably be to read the um, the chapters in Exodus that have to do with the tabernacle. Okay. And those are, I want to say Exodus 30 is where mm-hmm. it begins. There are actually a couple of places, but yep. Um, yep. so 25 through, well, all the way through to the end to 40. It seems yep. like a lot, but it's really not. Yeah. Uh, That's probably the best thing particularly because we've got a week before the study starts. So that right. gives them plenty of time, surely. <laughs> yes. And the cool thing is Bibles are so, they have those um, chapter and paragraph headings. So you know what you're about to read about before you start. So you can break it up into little chunks. Yeah, that's that's excellent news. Uh, so you said that you're starting an RCIA in a couple of weeks. Um, so how does your parish incorporate this study fulfilled into an RCIA program? Because, you know, we know that um, various bishops conferences have different ways of doing an RCIA. So how does your parish incorporate this study into an RCIA program? Well, it's very easy for our parish because it's my study and I know how to present it in a way Mm -hmm. because I started doing it that way that, that, sort of condenses all of the material because you I present one piece of it in every week so you can't possibly get it all in one hour Mm -hmm. but what I would say is read the chapter Mm. and and teach the material in the chapter of the book and condense it as best you can that's the best way so I spend one week in the early part of our my RCIA class going through the pieces of the tabernacle one piece at a time and then tie it all together. And then we start the sacraments and morality in the second half of the, the class. But that's how I would do it. I would use the book and just condense the material. That's excellent. And do you have a particular translation of the Bible that you use? Yes, I do. The RSVCE2. So the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, second, uh, second edition of the Catholic Edition. Mm-hmm. Yes. And would you hold up your Bible for us? Because uh, I think I recognized it. Well, probably not. No. This is my, yeah. Yeah. I have like 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just curious. You recognize this one. This is a note-taking Bible. I like it a lot because it has the note-taking space. Yeah. And of course, anyone who's joining our study, um, you know, because it's Ascension, uh, the Great Adventure Bible is certainly an option. And of course, we would promote the Ignatius Study Bible um, always, always, always. So there's a Absolutely. there's a couple of couple of versions. But if you've already got 
an RSV Catholic edition, then you're probably good to go, right? Yes, because the whole yeah. study follows that particular translation. All right, fantastic. All right, so we will uh, we'll finish up the the formal part of our discussion very shortly and uh, and move into the private Q and A. Do you have any final thoughts, Sonia, for us as we are about to embark on fulfilled? My parting thought would be you are going to be blown away by the deliberation and the care with which God outlined all of these things and the care with which the Holy Spirit preserved them throughout the millennia for us. Excellent. It is absolutely amazing. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I've, uh, I've learned a lot from you. And so uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into this uh, study. Uh, would you um, lead us in prayer so that anyone who's that. listening to this interview who is then going to come and join us uh, has, has, has been able to prepare not only intellectually, but also spiritually? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to connect with your people in this way. And I am so full of anticipation and such a just thrill with knowing how your people are going to see you in a, in a fresh way. And so, Lord, I pray for every single soul that will attend, that will participate, and that will share what they have learned through this study. I pray for their protection. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to all that you want us to have through this study. And I thank you, Lord, that you are constantly drawing us. You're constantly leading us, teaching us, guiding us. And so we are simply attempting to sit at your feet and receive you in a fresh way. And so we ask you for that, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would just come. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in them the fire of your love. And there will be a new creation and you will renew the face of the earth. That is what we need, Lord. And we thank you that you always provide what we need in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, Sonia Corbett, thank you for giving us some of your time for this guest expert interview for Parousia Study Groups. My privilege. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. And please thank your husband and your children for sharing you with us. Absolutely. It, it means a lot to us. So it's a, they're it's a really, really glad that someone that I they someone will take me off their hands for a while. Uh, yeah, I think I think my <laughs> wife would uh, be of a similar mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So anyone who is interested in joining this online study, uh, go to the Perusia website. That's uh, perusiamedia.com. And uh, the advertisement for this study will be going up today and you'll find all of the instructions on how to join us uh, for the live Zoom. And Sonia, I think as we progress in the study, we might have to get you back to do another interview that. or two on some of the themes in this study. I would love that. I would especially love that because mm. that's when sometimes there are some loose ends that people would like to have kind of, you know, completed. So I am all with that. Excellent. All right. Thank you once a bit, once again, and uh, 
We'll now move into the uh, private Q&A for Perusia world participants. If you would like to be part of the live audience, uh, go to the Perusia website and check out our social media alternate, Perusia World. Thank you and God bless. You have been listening to Perusia World Spotlight on the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific. To catch up on all Perusia podcast episodes, please visit perusiamedia.com forward slash podcast or subscribe to our podcasts in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com. God bless.